Now that I've got you feeling sorry for me. (laughs) I am learning that with the increase in age, there's a decrease in the ability to bounce when you fall. (laughs) I fell off a ladder a month ago, and it looks like I'll be on crutches for another few more months. See if things heal up. But, uh, huh, good, morning. good morning. What a beautiful morning God gave us. I am not Pastor Joe. I have a little more hair. <laughs> Pastor Joe is with the wrestling team uh, at a, uh, an event in Montana today. Uh, Pastor Dan and Monica are in California. Um, at a memorial for his aunt who passed away last week. And uh, Dan would like us to pray with them, uh, with he and Monica, as they have the opportunity to share the gospel with his family who don't know the Lord. Uh, Anthony and Lacey are in uh, Colorado at a memorial service for Lacey's dad. So we're kind of spread out, uh, kind of the Great Commission in action here with pastors. So I'm here. <laughs> And I'm excited to be here. We've, been, we've got some, uh, I hope your fingers are ready to do the walking through the Bible pages today. Uh, we've got several texts we're going to be looking at. We're consider, uh, continuing our series on the Holy Spirit and uh, who he is and, and what he does in a believer's life. And we'll be focusing on Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. Um, but first, I want to want to ask you a question. This is one that maybe you haven't asked yourself lately, but I want you to think about it for a minute and then shout out some answers to me. What occurred in your life the instant that you sincerely, wholeheartedly gave your life to Jesus? You repented of your sin. You confessed your faith in him as Savior, God's only son. The Bible says that some things happened simultaneously at that point in time, if that was a sincere profession of faith and confession and asking him to be your savior, what took place right then? You got peace, right? Through the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace. What else? Deliverance from what? From sin, basically, right? Yeah. Another word for that is forgiveness. Yeah. What else? What else happened in your life? No more anger. Oh, wow. At least the progress in, in controlling that anger, right? Okay. What else? All right. Experiencing the presence of the Lord from then on. You know, I started uh, this last couple of weeks just thinking about that in my quiet time and just going about the day and making a list. You know, I've got a list of 15 things that God did in your life and my life the minute we received Christ as our Savior. And they happened all at once. Can you name 15 things? Let's put that slide up there. It's a little bit small. I'm going to read through them with you. First of all, the Bible says you died. Did you know that? You died when you became alive to Christ. Galatians 2.20 says, For I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live in faith 
in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said, when he accepted Christ as Savior, this man who everybody else thought was righteous, he says, I died. I died to myself, and I I rose to Christ. In the book of Romans, chapter 6, verse 6. Now, I don't have all the verses up here for you to read on the screen, so you're going to have to use your Bibles. I hope you brought your Bible, or at least brought your electronic Bible on your phone. Paul says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Wow. So a question for you. You I've been a Christian for a long time. I can't honestly say that I'm dead to sin as far as never having sinned since then. Is that what he's telling us? When you're, you're dead to sin? What does he mean when he says you died to sin? Well, the fact is the Holy Spirit came and took up residence in our life. And now sin, the power of Satan, no longer has absolute power over us. Because of the Holy Spirit living in us, because of what Jesus has done for us, we have the ability through God's power to overcome sin. But it was a once-for-all transaction that took place there. From God's perspective, where he is looking at us, he sees the finished product even though I'm a work in progress. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. He says, you died. First Peter says, you were born again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope by the resurrection of Christ from the dead. At that split second, that instant, we made that spiritual transaction, we were born again, like Jesus said to Nicodemus. We were also justified. Pastor Joe preached on that just recently. Look at Romans at chapter 8, verse 30. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. So justified, Pastor Joe shared with you the little phrase, it's just as if I'd never sinned. Right? In, the, in the Old Testament, God says about Abraham, he was justified by faith. By faith, he became righteous in God's eyes. So God doesn't look at our sins now. He says, so far as the east is from the west, so far have I hidden my sin, your sins from me. The sins are behind his back. He doesn't see them. Because all of my sin, all of your sin, God took and transferred onto the shoulders of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And when he died on that cross, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become his righteousness. That happened in a transaction, in a split second. He says you were sanctified. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. You were washed. You were sanctified. 
You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our Lord. Now, what does sanctified mean? Set apart. If I were to call you a saint, you'd probably feel uncomfortable with that, wouldn't you? St. Joyce, how are you doing today? (laughs) Me? (laughs) Paul begins most of his letters to the churches, to the saints who are at, and then he names the place. A saint is literally one who is sanctified, who has been set apart by God, set apart from the old life, set apart to the new life. That's you and me. We are saints. You don't have to die and be set apart by some official and, and, and to be called a saint. We are set apart. Now, here's an interesting thing. When does sanctification take place? It says it happens the moment you believe. But I'm not anywhere near holy as God wants me to be holy and as I want to be holy. Sanctification is a position and it's a progression I am, from God's point of view, he sees the finished product. I have set you aside. You are perfect before me because of what my son has done. But in the meantime, I'm working out my sanctification. As I follow God's word, as I follow the Holy Spirit, as he works in me and changes those patterns in my life that shouldn't be there, I am becoming sanctified. Really important to keep those distinctions. We are positionally already sitting at the right hand of Jesus. Praise God for that. Nobody can take that from me. Jesus says, those who I put in my hand, fathers put in my hand, no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. Praise God. But in the meantime, he says, work out your own salvation. In other words, keep moving towards the goal. Sanctified. He says in Romans 8.30, you were glorified. Now, what do you picture when you, say, you think about yourself being glorified? When is that going to be? It's when I get my new body, and I'm in heaven, and maybe I even got a halo. I don't know. It's <laughs> <clears throat> talking about the end times. But God says, finished product. You were. All of these things, if you look at the original language, it's all past tense. The aorist tense in Greek. It's, a, it's something that happened at one point in time in the past, and it's permanent. These things are sealed, set apart for us. He says, you were blessed in Ephesians. Let's look at Ephesians now, chapter 1. This is one that I still am trying to figure out. I'm trying to imagine all that it entails. Blessed, verses, chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, past tense, he has blessed us, with what? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Think about all the blessings you anticipate when you are in heaven. He says those are already yours. You think about the fruit of the Spirit in, Gal- in Galatians chapter 6. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, patience, pa- uh, love, joy, peace, patience, self-control. It goes on. Those are all spiritual blessings that we're going to experience to the fullest extent in heaven. He says, you have them right now. He put them into your life the moment that you made that spiritual transaction. Amen is right. Praise God. Here's something else. 
uh, Ephesians 1.5, having predestined us to adoption as sons of Jesus Christ, by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the pleasure of his goodwill. He chose you and me. He adopted us to be his children. Verse 7 of Ephesians 1, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. What does it mean to redeem something? If you're as old as I am, I'm not asking you to raise your hands and think you're that old, but does anybody remember blue chip stamps, green stamps, S&H green stamps? Yeah. So what was a redemption center? What did you do at a redemption center? You took your trading stamps that you got with every gallon of gas, and you would go there and look in the catalog. You'd redeem those stamps for a prize out of that catalog. My mom became my barber when I was a little kid, and I didn't like that too much. She redeemed enough S&H green stamps to buy some clippers, and then she practiced on me. <laughs> I saw a sign back in the, in the 70s about a church on the bulletin board that said, Redemption Center, no stamps needed. The word redemption or to redeem comes out of the slave market in the New Testament. And to redeem was to pay the purchase price to buy a slave out of the slave market and set him free. There's two different words. One is is buying it out of the marketplace. The other is paying the ransom for. The The word here is paying the ransom. Jesus paid the ransom for us, and he took us out of Satan's slave market. We were subject to Satan, slaves to sin. Jesus ransomed his blood, purchased us out, and set us free. And whom the Lord has set free, he is free indeed. Amen. Are you guys asleep? Come on. This is, this is big stuff. Did you realize all this happened in a, trans, in a, in a blink of an eye? Wow. It actually happened before the world began, before the foundations of the world, God planned this. You were forgiven, it said in Ephesians 1.7. In Ephesians 1.11, he says, In him we have obtained an inheritance. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. According to Colossians 1.13, this is an exciting one. He transferred us from the kingdom of Satan, kingdom of darkness, to the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of light. Verse 13 of chapter 1, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his Son. The word conveyed us is literally the, the word to pick up and play, move from one place to another. When Jesus died, he made it possible for him as we receive the gift of eternal life, for him to take us, to pick us up, and take us literally out of Satan's kingdom into his own kingdom, and Satan is never going to have power over us again. The only power he has is the power you relinquish to him. Wow. 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen it says, you were baptized into the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit baptized you. He placed you into the body of Christ, his church. That's us, where we are right now. 
these relationships. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 goes on in, in several verses, talks about how we were gifted by the Holy Spirit. When you were born again, that instant in time, the Holy Spirit put gifts into your life. Gifts that he wants to use through you to minister to others in the body and to share the gospel throughout the world. We each have gifts. And read that, that uh, chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians and chapter 12 of Romans, and you'll see that each one of us is gifted uniquely. Not just in the kind of gift, but the way the gift is applied, how much it's applied. Uh, you know, God gave me the gift of, of teaching and pastoring. But he didn't give me the gift that Billy Graham had. You know, I, he didn't give me the gift that a, a mega church pastor would have. You know, he gifted us each according to our personalities, our, who we are, where we fit best, and he wants to use us where we are, as we are, with his power, to his glory. And finally, you, know, you believe this is all the introduction? <laughs> finally, we get to our, our text for today. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him... This is when you first trusted Jesus as Christ. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed. How many of you that describes you? You heard the word of God, you trusted what it said, you received him as your Savior. If that's you, raise your hand. Are you a believer? Yes. Okay, he's talking to you and me. He says, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Wow. Let's pray for a second. Lord, thank you for all these promises. Lord, um, I confess to you, I don't think about this all the time. It just overwhelms me, and I realize the magnitude of the blessings that you have poured out on us, the love you have for us, and God, as we spend some time now looking at, at what it means to be sealed by your Holy Spirit, sealed with your Holy Spirit, Lord, help us just to be overcome with gratitude and joy. And Lord, that you would use this then to change how we act going forward. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Do you ever have times <clears throat> when... Uh, you wonder if you're really going to go to heaven when you die? You don't have to raise your hands. I think we all do, don't we? Aren't there times when we have doubts? Is this really for real, or am I just going along with, with what I've been taught? Uh, am I really going to heaven? My spiritual birthday, when I received Christ as my Savior, July 18th, 1954. I was only 40 years old. No. <laughs> you see why I don't bounce back so well? <laughs> Let's see if you're awake. I was nine years old. I was at a Christian camp in Southern California at the Friday night campfire service. I had been born and raised in a Christian family. But it was that, that evening, that Friday evening, when the Holy Spirit really worked in my heart and said, you know what? You're a sinner. <laughs> you need a Savior. And that's when I gave my life to Christ. Best birthday ever. I was raised in a church uh, that preached the gospel. 
but as a church that emphasized performance and, and obedience, I uh, never heard much about mercy and grace. Uh, it's a good church. Uh, I, was, uh, I, I didn't have any assurance of my salvation. I knew that, that I needed to ask forgiveness, to have, to, to have forgiveness. And I can even remember in high school going to bed at night, and when I'd be praying before I would go to sleep, I'd say, and please forgive me of all my sins and shortcomings. I had to have a blanket statement there just in case I died before I woke up and I didn't have a sin that was unforgiven. I loved the Lord Jesus. I knew him as my Savior, but I did not have that assurance. Um, I went to a Bible college uh, from that same group and uh, learned how to teach God's Word. I learned more and more, and I, I pastored a little church in, in Southern California, and then Joan and I and our, our two preschool kids moved to San Diego in 1972 to start a church. And uh, it turned out the, uh, the nucleus of that church, which had been promised to be about 40 or, 30, 40 or 45 believers, turned out to be Joan and me and our two preschool kids. <laughs> so I did a lot of knocking on doors and sharing the gospel, and, and God blessed it. And our church began to grow. And during that time in 1973, uh, I was discipling a young believer, a sailor named Terry McGriff. And uh, we were reading through this passage this morning that we're studying. We got to that verse 13, and he says, In whom you also believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And I kid you not, the, the, the light bulb went on in my heart. Uh, all of a sudden, all these various scriptures that I've been reading and studying and pondering and my, my lack of assurance, all of that just all came together in a, in a glorious realization that, no, it's not up to me. Jesus did it. He paid it all. The Holy Spirit is sealed me. I have eternal life. First John 5.13, John is writing, he says, uh, these things I write to you who believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you might know that you have eternal life. And that life is in his Son. That you might know, not that you will have or could have, possibly. You have, it is yours, eternal life. Now that made sense to me. And I had peace, and I had joy, and I had boldness to be able to share the fact that Jesus' power is greater than mine, he loves you. He loves me, and he will hold on to you. He sealed you. So three quick, uh, quick questions we're going to ask. What does it mean to be sealed? In verse 14, what does it mean when he says he's the guarantee of our salvation? Third question is, so what? What does it mean to us? The word sealed, uh, as a verb, it's used 27 times. A, a fun word to to say it's a sfragizo, <laughs> to seal. And the noun sfragis is used 16 times. The sealing to which Paul is referring uh, speaks to a, uh, an official mark of identification that was placed on a letter or a contract or other important document. It was usually made from hot wax, which was placed on the document, then impressed with a signet ring. The document was then officially identified with and under the authority of the person to whom the signet ring belonged. And we see it all over the scripture, don't we, as we read about you know, things that were sealed. So if we look at verse 13, who, who were sealed? Who are the ones that are sealed? In him what? You got the verse? Remember it? In him you 
also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also you, having believed, were sealed. So who is the recipient of the seal? You and I, believers, having heard the word of truth, having trusted it with our whole heart, given our life to Christ, he took his hot wax and his signet ring, and he sealed us. We're going to explore what that means. So when did it happen? After hearing the gospel, believing or trusting in Jesus. Wow. What were we sealed with? What is the hot wax that we were sealed with? The Holy Spirit. He said, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. He is the down payment of our salvation. So what are the implications? The seal of God's Spirit in a believer, there's four primary things. Security, authenticity, ownership, and authority. Security. Think of some examples. In the book of Daniel, what do you think about Daniel, some of the exciting stories about Daniel? What was one of the scariest ones? Thrown into lion's den. Hungry lions. And they had a prayer meeting in that lion's den. (laughs) That's great. But it says in the book of Daniel that after he was thrown in there, they put a stone covering the entrance and they sealed it with the signet ring of Nebuchadnezzar. Why? To make sure that it was secure so nobody could get in to rescue him. Think about another cave that has stone rolled against it and was sealed in the New Testament. The tomb that had belonged to Joseph of Arimathea and became the grave of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the the leaders of the Jews were deathly afraid that somehow Jesus' promises would be true. So they went to Pilate and they said, we're afraid this man who says he's going to come back after three days, we're afraid they're going to come and steal his body away. We've got to make that tomb secure. He says, okay, go. And he gave them soldiers. They rolled the, the, tomb, the stone across the face of the tomb. And with Pilate's authority, the signet ring of Pontius Pilate in the hot wax on that stone, they sealed the entrance to that tomb for security. In the book of Revelation, there's a group of Jewish believers that are going to get sealed. Remember how many of them are there? It's a lot. 144,000 Jewish evangelists during the tribulation period are going to be sealed on their forehead with the seal of God as a supernatural protection of them throughout that seven-year period. That no harm should come to them. So think about you and me and the Holy Spirit sealing our lives. The Holy Spirit secures each believer. The Holy Spirit has marked you and me with his seal of protection, of security. Jesus says, upon this rock, the truth that I am the Christ, the church is built, and the gates of hell shall what? Not prevail against it. Satan has no power over you or over me, except what we yield to him. And why in the world do we do that? Do you ever do that? (laughs) More than we should. Praise God, he's greater than us. 
So security, authenticity. Uh, in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 26 and 27, Here's the, here's the context. Shortly before this, Jesus had been on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He's fed the 5,000. They'd all left and gone home. Uh, he sent the disciples away, and, and he went up on the mountain to, to pray by himself because the people had wanted to come and force him to become the king. So he sent them away. The disciples, he sent in the boat to go back over to, to Capernaum. He went up to pray. And then uh, after a while, he decided to go back, and he wanted to make a, a little bit of a different transportation. So he started walking on the water. And there was a storm. The disciples had rode for about two or three miles, it said, and they were really ex- exhausted. The storm was beating against them. And they look and they see what they think is a ghost. It's Jesus walking along the water. He says, hey, don't be afraid, it's me. What did Peter say? It was really you, what? Tell me to come join you. Okay, come join me. <laughs> so, we laugh at Peter because he sank, but you forget about the faith he had to step out of that boat. You know, I, don't, I, didn't, I wouldn't have that much faith. He steps out on a boat and he starts walking toward Jesus until he looks at what he's doing and looks at the storm. He's, instead of looking at Jesus, he's looking at the storm and he starts to sink. He says, Lord, save me, I'm drowning. Jesus picks them up and they get back in the boat. And immediately it says, you may have missed this miracle. Immediately it says the boat was where it was going. Just, just like that. This is all that's happened prior to these verses we're going to read. So Jesus is there. Well, the people think that Jesus is still back over on the other side. So they'll go back and no boat, no Jesus. So they come back to Capernaum and are surprised to find him there in Capernaum teaching. And, and they're saying, Lord, do this, do that. And he said, you want more miracles? Wasn't feeding you bread enough? And then Peter says, uh, Jesus says, talking about himself as the Son of Man, in verses 26 and 27, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you, because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were fulfilled. Uh, don't labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, for which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal upon him. Talking about himself, he says, sometime in the past, God the Father has set his seal on me. That's why you should be seeking me. So when did God do that? It doesn't tell us specifically. My thinking is that it was at the baptism of Jesus. When John baptized him and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove, and what did God say? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. He did it also on the Mount of Transfiguration. Almost said exactly the same thing. God the Father set a seal upon Jesus. Authenticity. When God gives us the Holy Spirit, it's as though he stamps us with a seal that reads, This person belongs to me. He's an authentic citizen of my kingdom. He's a member of my divine family. That's what God has said about you if you are a true believer of Jesus Christ. You are authentic, genuine, the real deal. question that keeps bothering me, I believe you, God, 
but it doesn't feel like it. Look at how I live today. Look at how I, I blew it today. How can you say I'm authentic when I keep not acting that way? You know what Jesus said? I forgive you. Let's do better tomorrow. You are mine. Act like it. Third thing, ownership. In the book of Jeremiah, uh, this is a time when Babylon is coming to destroy Judea. Uh, the, the two tribes uh, ten, uh, of uh, Benjamin and Judah. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. I would hate to have had his call. God called him to, to, to be a judge as a prophet. And he was constantly weeping over Jerusalem because they wouldn't repent. And now Nebuchadnezzar and his armies are marching toward Jerusalem. And because Jeremiah keeps prophesying all these bad things, it's kind of like where we are today. If you speak truth, you get thrown in prison. Right? If you don't speak according to the party line, you're going to be excluded, beat up, persecuted. That's going to get worse and worse, by the way. That was Jeremiah. He was actually thrown into prison. He was in a cistern because he wasn't prophesying the way that the king wanted him to prophesy. And Jeremiah, here's the word of the Lord. He says, Jeremiah, one of your kinsmen is going to come to you uh, and offer to sell you some of his property. And I'd think, well, why would I want to do that? I'm in prison. And so, sure enough, Jeremiah's uh, cousin is a kinsman redeemer. You can look that up in the Old Testament. Basically, uh, Jeremiah, being a close relative, has the right to buy property from this man when he dies. He says, Jeremiah, I want to deed this property over to you. The Lord said, go ahead and do it. And so they go ahead and do a transaction of real estate, and they uh, deed the property over to Jeremiah, and... Part of that process was sealing it with a seal as being uh, ownership. It's now Jeremiah's. And they took that and a copy of the deed. They rolled one of it up and sealed it. And then took a blank, uh, another copy. They put them in a pottery jar and they put them for safekeeping for later. The whole purpose for that was God pointing out, this is not the end of the story. Uh, yes, Nebuchadnezzar is going to destroy Jerusalem but I'm going to send back a remnant. I'm going to rebuild my nation. That property will be yours, Jeremiah. Ownership. When the Holy Spirit seals you and me, he marks us as God's divine possession, who from that moment on entirely and eternally belong to him. The Spirit's seal declares the transaction of salvation to be official and final. I hope that does something inside of you. Finally, authority. Uh, the book of Esther, I love that story. We should preach on that one of these days. Esther was, uh, you'll have to read it. I'm not going to tell you the whole story. But she's, she's the queen now uh, of, she, there's a guy named uh, Naaman. A bad dude. <laughs> Is it Naaman or Haman? I've got the names mixed up. Haman. Haman. Naaman was the leper. <laughs> Another story. <laughs> Haman, bad guy, hated the Jews, jealous of, of Esther's uh, cousin Mordecai. And, and so he has slyly gotten the king to sign a document and put his official seal on it that they can kill all of the Jews. The king, not realizing 
that Esther was a Jewess. So Mordecai comes to Esther and says, Esther, do you realize that Haman has done this because he hates me and he hates our people? Uh, You've got to go before the king and you've got to rescue us. And she says, if I don't get invited and I just walk in, he's going to kill me. Mordecai says these famous words, but who knows if you were not born for such a time as this. So they pray, and she does. She gets favor with the king. She goes in, and she tells what's going on. And there's a really cool story how God reveals and protects her. But bottom line we're getting at here is that, that he could not undo the decree he'd already made because it had his seal on it. But he was able to make a new decree saying that all of the Jews on these particular days have the right to defend themselves. And he seals that one. And that's why the Jews rejoice and and celebrate on the the Feast of Purim, P-U-R-I-M. That was the day when the uh, Persians were going to destroy the Jews, and the Jews stood up, and they destroyed all those who would destroy them. Point being, the, the proclamation that he made with Esther, with his seal, was giving the Jews the authority his authority to defend themselves. You and I, when we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, we are delegated by God the Father to proclaim, to teach, to minister, and to defend God's word, the gospel, with God's own authority. The seal, the Holy Spirit in your life is giving you the authority to be God's ambassador. What are you doing with that authority? Is it just stuck in a drawer somewhere? How God has designed us as his representatives who are secure and protected, who are authentic and genuine, who are owned by him who have his authority to share his word and his mercy and his grace with others that they might be sealed also. Wow. So, in verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 1, what does it mean to be guaranteed? This is another one that I just love this verse. The Holy Spirit of promise is the guarantee of our inheritance. Have you ever done a real estate transaction? Ever had to pay earnest money? So what is earnest money? It's a a down payment. It's a guarantee that you're going to come up with the rest, right? And so the the transaction goes on. That's what this word is, exactly. Arobon in Greek. It is is translated guarantee. It's translated earnest. It's translated down payment. So what is it the earnest of or the guarantee of? It says it's the guarantee of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession. It guarantees the promise of a new place. That's part of our inheritance. Where's the new place? Heaven, right? Yeah, the new heaven and a new earth. It's a guarantee. It guarantees the promise of a new body. Romans talks about how we groan within our body. I'm feeling that more and more all these days. I'm 77 years old. And there's more groaning than there is glee, I'll tell you. (laughs) Excuse me. But we're going to have a new body. No crutches. (laughs) No need for replacements. 
The whole body's going to be replaced. It guarantees the promise of a new relationship. Here's something I didn't know. In modern Greek, this word arabon is oftentimes used to describe or translated as an engagement ring. So when a, a, a person gives his fiancée an engagement ring, his promise, it's guaranteeing something in the future, a new relationship. It foreshadows our future relationship with Jesus because we're going to be what? The bride of Christ. Read Ephesians chapter 5 when you have time. It talks about the marriage relationship. And he said, this is a mystery, but I'm not really just talking about marriage. I'm talking about the marriage with the bridegroom, the bride of Christ. And it guarantees that God will keep us and will keep it for us forever. A guarantee. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. See if I've got this right. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great abundant mercy has caused us to be born again unto a living hope, an inheritance, which is undefiled, imperishable, will not fade away, is reserved in heaven for you who are protected through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's a summation of what we've talked about this morning. It's reserved in heaven for you who are being protected through faith for that salvation that God is going to reveal to us. Now we get to the so what. What does it mean for you and me? I'm hoping that what we shared about has a couple of possible different ramifications in you. First of all, If you are a sincere, born-again believer in Jesus Christ, I hope this gives you enthusiasm and energy and a realization of your thanksgiving of what God is doing and has done for you. It'll energize you to be who he wants you to be. But if maybe you're here and and you've been going through the motions and you're like I was when I was younger and and didn't know if I died right now, I, I could go to heaven. If you don't have that assurance, I'm hoping that it starts nagging at you to be sure of your salvation. Secondly, uh, I hope it causes you to evaluate your lifestyle. Don't go back months or years. Go back yesterday, the day before yesterday. Evaluate yesterday and the day before yesterday in light of what we've been talking about today. Where do you stand? Are you living out these blessings that Jesus has given you? Or are, is there a need for some kind of transaction, some, some uh, come-to-Jesus time? And the other thing, I'm praying that it's going to energize us to confidently rejoice in uh, what lies ahead because of who we are and whose we are. It's easy to get discouraged. You watch Fox News. You watch Newsmax. You watch other things. It's important to be on top of what's going on. But don't let it discourage you. Bottom line, two words. God wins. Amen? Amen. Praise God. We got all that done in 40 minutes. You believe that? Whoa, I got more time. (laughs) Uh, 
In just a minute, we're going to stand and sing a song. But, uh, I want to rejoice with you about one of the signs that God is still in charge, and that is the praise God for the thousands of unborn babies who are going to see life. Amen. Praise God for that. Yes. You know, it's a, it's a moment of celebration for, for God, but even more than celebration, it's a time for a real heartfelt, knee-bending prayer. You know, that God is going to continue to work through his children to protect those helpless kids, to be positive light and examples, to keep trusting God for answered prayer, for the triumph of right over wrong. Well, we've got to keep praying for that and just rejoicing in God, answering prayers that have been prayed for over 50 years now. <sighs> Praise God with that. So I'm going to pray right now, and then we're going to stand and sing. And, uh, you know, you don't need to come forward if you don't want to. If you want to, you want me to pray with you, I'd be glad to do that. But do some.